long time ago, <clears throat> when I was a kid, my mother, for some reason, introduced me to the sewing machine. Why would a mother introduce her teenage son to a sewing machine? I have no idea. But I got to tell you, it opened up a whole new chapter in my life. It was absolutely amazing. I was, now, when I was younger, she taught me how to sew with a needle and thread. <clears throat> so in the Cub Scouts, if I got a badge, I'd, I'd learn how to sew it on myself, okay? But the sewing machine, <clears throat> this was like going from a tricycle to a GTO. Excuse me, most of you. Says I'm on. Says green. Am I good now? Okay. All right. All right. <clears throat> I know how to do sewing machines. I don't know how to do all this audio, this, this sound stuff. <clears throat> My favorite stitch. How many of you have sewing machines at home and use them? Not too many. Not too many. I know that guy over there with the red hat. He has one. <laughs> My favorite. They have a stitch selector. Even on the most primitive, crummy, cheap machines, and you can dial in whatever. My favorite stitch was the zigzag. It was the, now in all the projects I've done over the last 50 years, I never used the zigzag on a project. But just for fun, and this was frequently, I'd get some scrap material and push the zigzag button, and it was, it did, it was amazing to watch that needle go back and forth. The, the, the deeper I depressed the gas, the faster it went. And then if you got contrast thread with material, it was just, it was just something that looked great. It's wonderful. Now, <clears throat> this morning we're going to talk about the zigzag ways of God. What I'm calling, I, I've never heard it said that way, but I'm, I'm inventing this. The zigzag ways of God. Our ways and God's ways are not the same, Isaiah tells us. He says, just as the heavens are high above the earth, so God's ways are higher than our ways. We can't explain the ways of God. For instance, if you decided you were going to go to Miracle Mile at the end of this service, <clears throat> okay, all you do is get out here on the Lasky, and you'd go for three and a half miles east, and you'd bump right into Miracle Mile. Boom. Straight line. That's how we think. When we plan, if we've got a goal, we, we chart a straight line to get to the end. God doesn't work that way. God, we have a God who zigzags. And in those zigzags, although they beat us up and they, they confuse us, God develops us as human beings. Let me give you an example. And this is an example. It's autobiographical, okay? It's, I'm the one I know the best, okay? So you'll get to know a little bit more about me as a result of this, my zigzag path in life. In high school, the most important thing to me was my trumpet. I loved the trumpet. Nobody ever had to tell me or force me 
to practice an hour or two a day. My senior year, I was practicing three hours a day. I loved the horn. <clears throat> In fact, my junior year, I was recruited to play in a band. Now, unless you're over 60, you've never heard of these guys. Mitch Ryder and the Detroit Wheels. Have any of you heard of them? Okay. And I was, I would forget college. I was going to fast track it. I was going to be a professional trumpet player. I was on that track. I just, I was focused, straight line. Until my senior year, I went to this concert. And my idol, my all-time hero trumpet player was a guy by the name of Maynard Ferguson. Probably never, if any of you heard of Ferguson? See, it was just an obscure guy, but he was an unbelievable jazz trumpet player. And I got a, back in those days, it only cost $5, not 500 to get a ticket to a concert. <clears throat> but I got a, I, I was like 12 rows back, and I was, my eyes were riveted on Ferguson. Wherever he went, I followed him. And I noticed right from the get-go, <clears throat> he was carrying a 12-ounce paper cup, a Pepsi cup. They didn't have styrofoam. They didn't have plastic back then. They had paper. And I said, oh, the guy likes Pepsi. Everywhere he went, and he moved around the stage like I do. He'd, all, he'd have his horn in one hand and the Pepsi cup in the other hand. All right? I said, oh, okay, cool. <clears throat> well, at intermission, he left his horn on the stage, but he took his Pepsi cup. Didn't think anything of it. He comes back after a 15, 20-minute intermission, the second part of the show, and <clears throat> he's got his Pepsi cup with him. Well, about halfway through the second set, I start noticing that he's getting sloppy. In, in jazz terms, you want a group that's tight. In other words, boom, they all come in at the same time. Well, Maynard wasn't tight anymore. He was sloppy. By the end of the performance, he was missing notes, and it was just it was terrible. It finally dawned on me that that wasn't Pepsi in that cup. Okay. And that Maynard was a drunk. And I can't tell you, this, this beautiful picture I had of what it was like to be a professional trumpet player went up in smoke in that two-hour concert. And I concluded that if this what it, this, I'll never be as good as he is, but I could be almost as, if this is what it means, that you become an alcoholic, I don't want any part about it. So my whole life took a turn, a zig. So I had to go back to the drawing board, and I said, oh, gee, what am I going to? I know. I love to design and build things. I think I'll be an architect. So I went out to Pittsburgh <clears throat> to study architecture. Loved it. All my classes were about designing and drawing and building stuff. I was in heaven. Never worked so hard in my life. I just loved it. I was going to be an architect. I was, first of all, going to be a trumpet player. Then there was a zigzag. Now I'm going to be an architect. And somewhere around the end of June, I got my grades in the mail, and I'd flunked. <clears throat> okay, that dream went up in smoke. Okay, I'm going through the checklist. What's next? Okay, I loved being a Boy Scout. This is back a million years ago, okay? I don't know if we have any. Is any of your kids in Boy Scouts today? This is, it, it's sad, and uh, no criticism, but it's just different times. I said, okay, I'm going to go into the Boy Scouts, 
and then I thought, for well, there, there's no college that has a degree. You don't get a BS in Boy Scout. This is not good. A forestry. I'll become a forester and be useful to the Boy Scouts. So I moved to New Hampshire and got a degree in forestry. I, I got a BS in forestry. I'm a tree hugger. Still am. In, in terms of the trumpet, I'm a has-been, so don't ask me about that. Okay, I'm terrible. I haven't played in, except, you know, once or twice a week. I'm terrible. <clears throat> so I go through three years of University of New Hampshire to get a degree in forestry, and halfway through my senior year, I become a Christian you know, subsequently, God impresses upon me that he values souls more than trees. It's good, all well and good to save trees, but it's better to save souls. So there's another zigzag. Now I'm on my way to seminary. You see how this, see the path here? First over here was to be a trumpet player. Then there's a zigzag. Now I'm going over here and I'm going to be an architect. No, I failed. Now I'm back over here, and I'm going to be a professional Boy Scout, a forester. Oh, God calls me. Now I'm zigging again, and I'm going in a different direction, and I'm going into some kind of ministry. Now, you may not have all had that dramatic a series of zigzags, and since then I've had a number of zigzags of lesser, uh, well, they're still great. They just didn't change the course of my life in the same exact way. But this is how God functions. We would function, get on Lasky and go straight for three and a half miles. That's the way, we, that's the way our brain thinks, okay? God does not work with us in that way. He works with us through the failures and the disasters and the disappointments of life, where we have to make radical changes in direction. It's not as though God has forsaken you. He hasn't. Now, we're going to take a look. It's Advent, the season when we remember the coming of Christ. We're going to take a look at that event. And I want you to appreciate the fact that the coming of God's Son into the world, okay, the incarnation. God, incarnation means God taking on skin, flesh, becoming a human being. This was God's plan for eons, thousands and thousands and millions of years. God had planned this out. It was going to be the biggest event, is the biggest event in the history of the world. Through this event... He was going to reconcile, this is the gospel, he was going to reconcile you and me to himself. So this is the most important thing that has ever occurred in the universe. The coming of God's son. You would think, track with me here, okay, this is important. You would think with all that planning, tens of thousands, I don't know how many years, when, when he started thinking about this and planning it out, that he would have organized things to go in a straight line for his son. That he would have gone ahead, in football terms, he would have blocked. Here comes somebody to knock his son over. He would have knocked him right out of the way. Or he would have put a plow on the front of his pickup truck and knocked every, just made a smooth road for his son. Absolutely not. When you think of what was hanging in the balance, 
How could God had led his son through such a minefield of zigging and zagging. So what we're going to do today is read about those zigs and those zags. And there's quite a few passages. You won't be able to follow me on all of them. Um, but that's all right. It'll be on the screen. And usually I don't read this many scripture passages. But in order to get the zigzag back and forth, i got to do that. All right? Number one, we're in Matthew chapter, chapter 1. Last week, Brad uh, read the scripture of the Annunciation, the announcing of Gabriel to Mary that she was going to conceive and bear a son of the Holy Spirit. Now, <clears throat> that was in Luke. But in Matthew, we've got the heavenly connection with Joseph, the fiancé. Follow along with me here. This is how Jesus the Messiah was born. Okay, Matthew 1, verse 18. Mary was engaged to be married to Joseph. But before the marriage took place, while she was still a virgin, she became pregnant through the power of the Holy Spirit. Joseph, to whom she was engaged, was a righteous man and did not want to disgrace her publicly, so he decided to break off the engagement quietly. Now, the coming of the Savior is filled with disaster right from the get-go. Mary was 13. No 13-year-old girl, not in Mary's day, not in our day, plans on getting pregnant. When a 13-year-old young girl finds out she's pregnant, it's a disaster. Her whole life is going to be turned upside down. What she was planning in this direction is not going to happen. It's going to be a zigzag. You've got to take care of a kid now. Now, the stigma has lessened in 2,000 years. In most of the public schools, in Toledo Public at least, I don't know about Washington Local, but they have child care in the high schools for these teenage mothers so they can finish high school. I think it's wonderful. Fabulous thing. But there's still this immense stigma. Then their grandparents that are embarrassed. It's just... It, now, in Mary's day, <clears throat> she would have been stigmatized her entire life. Jesus would have grown up and been basically referred to, when he wasn't around, as a bastard. Bastard is somebody who doesn't have a father. Joseph was going to quietly divorce or get rid of, put Mary away. So she was going to be an unwed teenage mother who was going to give birth to a bastard son. Now, you would think that God would have figured out a better way to do it. We have a God who zigs and zags in our life. Okay, scripture number two. We're in Luke chapter two. No, wait a minute, wait a minute. Here we are, yes. Luke chapter two, verse one. At that time, okay, the Roman Emperor Augustus, he's the Caesar, he's the big cheese of the whole world, decreed that a census should be taken throughout the Roman Empire. Everyone returned to their own ancestral town to register for the census. In other words, Caesar wanted to know how many people he was lord over, basically. And because Joseph was a descendant of King David, he had to go to Bethlehem in Judea, 
David's ancient home. He traveled there from the village of Nazareth in Galilee. He took his wife Mary with him, who he was engaged to and who was expecting a child. Now, not only is there this first disaster, you would think at least Mary could stay home and normally pregnant women, they have their mothers help take care of them. Okay? Not, not Mary. Not Joseph. They have to travel, and, and she just didn't, you know, hop in a, a Suburban, okay, or a Lexus, and travel down, you know, the 90 miles. She got in the back of a donkey. It was a three-day ride. I can't imagine a donkey's too smooth. When we have... Uh, we have, we have a lot of pregnant women in our congregation. It's so cool. We've got babies coming all the time here. I, I just love, I love it. And <clears throat> so when I, when I am talking in the hallway with a pregnant woman here, who's eight, who's like 38, 39 weeks, I say, hey, or, or maybe she's 42 weeks and she's overdue. I said, hey, let me, why don't you hop in the back of my motorcycle? I'll give you a ride. And when the ride's over, I'll just take you right to the hospital. You know, we'll induce labor that way. Well, <clears throat> I'm sure Mary got induced on that trip down. All right? <clears throat> no, uh, God had ages to plan, and his senses came exactly at the wrong time. Are you with me? Not convenient. The word convenient is a human word. God does not look out for our convenience. Okay, next. Now we're in Luke. Excuse me. I get, uh, there's so many. Uh... Yeah, here we are. While they were there, this is in Luke chapter 2, verse 6. The time came for her baby to be born. She gave birth to her firstborn son, wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no lodging available for them. Now, talk about making reservations ahead of time. If you and I are going on a trip and we know that we're going to be in a certain town, a certain city on a certain night, we call ahead and we make reservations at the Holiday Inn or at the Marriott, okay? And then we show up and we go to the desk and they say, oh, yes, Mr. and Mrs. Blankenblank, we have your reservation. Now, God <clears throat> knew ages in advance. You would think that he would have put in a reservation at the hotel in Bethlehem. No reservation. The best they could do was to go out in the barn with the animals. Another problem, okay? The whole world is going to rise or fall on this child's shoulders, and he doesn't even get a spot in the hotel. All right, next. <clears throat> Matthew chapter four, uh, 2. Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea during the reign of King Herod. By the way, King Herod, Herod the Great, there were other Herods that we bump into in the book of Acts, but they were children of King Herod. But he was a brutal, vicious man. Paranoid. 
About this time, wise men came from the eastern lands and arrived in Jerusalem, asking, Where is the newborn king of the Jews? We saw his star, and we have come to worship him. King Herod was deeply disturbed when he heard this. The saying was that it was safer to be a pig in King Herod's sty than it was to be one of his sons. He killed two of his sons because they were planning a coup. Now he's got word that there's going to be a Jewish king born right in his territory. He's not happy. You think God would have kept that from him? Once again, another disaster, another zigzag in the path. All right, moving on. Chapter 2, Matthew 13. After the wise men were gone, the angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. Get up. Run away to Egypt with the child and his mother. Stay there until I tell you to return, because Herod is going to search for the child and kill him. That night, Joseph left for Egypt with the child, Mary, and his mother. They stayed there until Herod's death, And this was to fulfill what the Lord had spoken through the prophet, I have called my son out of Egypt. Now, everything has gone wrong with this birth. Finally, Mary has recuperated enough to travel, and they want to go home, back up to Nazareth. Joseph has a home, okay? And he's probably got his father's carpentry business. He's probably fairly, he's adequately well off. He can take care of Mary just about ready to leave and the angel says you're not going home you're going to Egypt you're going to a foreign country where you can't even speak their language and you're going to stay there quite a while until I tell you it's safe to come home another zigzag okay now this final zigzag and Jesus had many zigzags okay this final zigzag is beyond me to explain after trying for 50 years to understand this. Herod was furious when he realized the wise men had outwitted him. He sent soldiers to kill all the boys in and around Bethlehem who were two years old or under. Now, when we think of the Christmas scene, there are two things that come to mind. First of all, there's the shepherds. I mean, you have a, most of you have a manger scene or a creche in your house. <clears throat> and you got Mary and Joseph and baby Jesus and a few cows. And then an angel, if it's a good scene. And then there are some shepherds. Okay, they're there. They're, it's just, it, it's a pastoral scene. It's, 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 it's a lovely uh, scene. And then if you've got even a bigger scene, <clears throat> you've got the three wise men that are there. At least, there may have been more or may have been less, but they brought three gifts. That's what we know, okay? So you've got the shepherds. That's a very warm-hearted story. We've got the wise men. That's another uh, warm-hearted. But that was just a little teeny bit of it. How do you think the mothers in Bethlehem felt about the birth of Jesus? They weren't out there with the shepherds singing glory to God in the highest. They didn't come to the manger and bow down and bring gifts to Mary. They were were broken. Their sons died because of the birth of Jesus. 
Now, that's a zigzag I can't explain. I don't understand. It's one of the mysteries of God. Now, God operates through the disasters, through the interruptions, through the failures, through the changes of direction in our life. We think that God has forsaken us, but he has not. This is the way he works. Zig, zag, zig, zag. He doesn't take the three and a half mile trip straight down Lasky to get to his goal. You look at all the characters in the Bible for whom we have enough information to decide they all walked on a zigzag course. You look at Joseph. He was Abraham's great-great-grandson. He's the one that took the Jews into Egypt. He was out having a, a la-di-da day. His brothers grabbed him, tied him up, and sold him to an Ishmaelite caravan going <clears throat> to Egypt. When he was there, he was unjustly accused and thrown into prison. Two massive shifts in the direction of his life. Both of them used in a mighty way by God. Look at uh, Samson. We all remember Samson as, the, as kind of the Hercules of the Jews. He, that's who he was, okay? He had a life that he did whatever he pleased. His parents never disciplined him. I mean, if you have Hercules as a son, you, gotta, you don't want to spank him, man. You're gonna get, he's going to beat you up. His parents let him do whatever he wanted. They gave him stuff they shouldn't have. He just was headed in this one direction. And finally, I'm guessing he's 35 or 40, this woman named Delilah trips him up and cuts his hair. The Philistines, Philistines grab him, tie him up, and they gouge out his eyes. Now, I'd say that's a pretty massive zigzag. Here he is doing whatever he pleases, and now he's a slave, and he's a blind slave. And they tie him to a millstone. And he's grinding wheat into flour. So for years, he's, he's, he's using his great strength, and he's going around in circles like this, around and around. Talk about a change of direction in life. That's exactly what God used in order for him to fulfill his purpose. You'll have to read the book of Judges to get what that was. David, zigzagging all over the place. Paul, Peter, the only guy in Scripture whom we know enough about to have a straight line in life was Solomon. Solomon was born and he was pampered by his mother Bathsheba. And he was groomed to become the king of Israel. Straight line, straight line, straight line. He's crowned king, he's anointed. He has this wonderful prayer, and God gives him not only wisdom, but expands his borders and gives him great wealth. No resistance at all in his life. And what happens at the end? Because he didn't have any zigzags. He starts to drift and become an idol worshiper. That's what happens. We drift with no zigzags 
to wake us up, we drift. Now, we're going to pray together. <clears throat> and I want you to think of the zigzags in your life. They might just be little tiny inconveniences. God has purpose in every single obstacle that you have to deal with. Just think of all the obstacles that Mary and Joseph had to deal with surrounding the birth of Jesus. God could have removed all those obstacles with his little finger. He didn't. God has not forsaken you because you've just gone through a disaster or a failure. God is with you in the midst of that. That's the last thing we hear from Jesus on this earth. We get the Great Commission, go into all the world, make disciples. And he said, oh yeah, one last thing. I will be with you always. I want you to know that God is with you. You might be right in the middle of a zig or a zag, which means your whole life is going to change. God is with you in that. Now, how do we know this? How can I, how can I be absolutely certain that God is with you even in the midst of a disaster? How dare I stand up here and speak for God? There's one reason. Because of this book. This is God's book. This is the word of God to you and to me. This is food for our souls. This book does not have any errors in it in what it intends to teach. It is given to you and to me so that we can know God. In this book, as we read about his people and all the zigzags that God took him through, we can see nothing strange is happening to us. What's happening to us is the same thing that's happened to all of God's people. We know that through this book. Now we all eat food because we get hungry. Our bodies are nourished. This nourishes our soul. If I had one... No, 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 that's not right. My one desire for all of you. And this has been my desire since I started out as a pastor in 77. Was that the people whom I was called to serve would have a hunger for the word of God. This is the way we get to know God. It's his book. He's given it to us so that we can know him. I can't give you that hunger. I've, I've come to that conclusion in my old age and I weep over it, but it's true. You must respond individually. You must decide, this is food for my soul. This is where I can get to know God's plan for my life, how he's with me, especially in the zigs and zags of life. Now, 
we're going to pray together. And I want you to pray for yourself, not for somebody else. I want you to pray for yourself and that God would increase the hunger that you have. You may have no hunger at all. You may not crack this book open. The only time you hear it is here. The Spirit of God is calling you to change that, to make a zig or a zag in your life. Join me now in prayer, would you please? Lord Jesus, as I read through your life and your teachings in the four Gospels, it's obvious to me that you were a man of the book. You quoted the scripture almost every time you spoke. It was the bread of life for you. Now the scripture's a little bit longer because it contains story of your, your teaching and your actions. Lord, forgive us for forgive us for having such a great treasure and just letting it sit there. The apostle in Hebrews said, your word is living and alive. It's like a sword that can cut us to the heart and guide us. Father, I pray for each one of us, myself included, we're all together in this, that you would deepen our thirst for the Word of God. I don't know how you gave me a thirst for it. I, I don't take any, any credit. But long ago, when I was 19, you gave me a hunger to read the Word of God. I pray you would give every person here a hunger to read your Word. And it wouldn't just be some duty, something to check off the list, but we discover that Here's where, we, here's where we know life. Here's where we get to know you better. Here's where we get to understand your ways that are different than ours. Ours is a straight line down to miracle. Yours is a zigzag line. And you did that even with the birth of your son. Jesus, we want more of you. Give us a increased hunger for more of your word. We ask you for this. Holy Spirit, help us. Amen.